Hello, Utility Fleet World. It's Kurt Moreland, Associate Publisher with Utility Fleet Professional with another edition of Under the Hood. And, you know, the country right now, the timing of this has been gripped in a big freeze, a big chill. Uh, not only those in the upper half of the United States are dealing with sub-zero wind chills, but I believe there was some record temperatures and snows even in the southern half of the United States that they're not uh, used to dealing with. So I'm very happy to bring in with as my guest, uh, Matt Gillilid. And um, Matt is the fleet manager uh, at Nebraska Public Power. And Matt, welcome and thanks for being our guest today. Good morning, Kurt. I'm happy to be your guest. Uh, the, the topic is very timely. I think that uh, this is a very good opportunity to share with your listeners uh, some some learnings and some best practices. And I really appreciate the the chance just to uh, sit down with you. I know we've known each other for a long period of time, so it's always good to just to catch up. Yeah, and I always like to think of this podcast not only for utility fleet managers, but for all work truck and all fleet managers, uh, they, they're going to get something valuable to help them with their jobs. So, so let's jump into it. I, I'm going to kind of, uh, the focus of this podcast is going to be winterizing the fleet. And uh, one of the things that I, you know, we're going to be talking about things that fleet managers can do to prepare for winter and cold conditions. You know, the first one I wanted to ask you about is tires. Do you guys go to a snow tire or do you use tire chains at all on your fleets once wintertime comes around? That's a great question. Uh, we do not, Kurt, uh, go to any specific snow type of tire. Uh, the reason being is we we cover the vast territory here in Nebraska. It's right the middle part of uh, America. We see so much different type of terrain. We see sand. We see mud. We see clay. We see grass. We see highway. You know, we try to aim for the sweet spot of all terrain type tires, mud and snow type tires. Uh, we do not specifically transition to any snow tire. We are very adamant about uh, the, the the ultimate mud and snow and all-terrain tires that we do buy. Uh, we do buy uh, the, the tires as, as much as we possibly can. The ice and snow insignia on the side, it's, it's a very small triangular insignia, uh, but it's an important thing to look for, that winter insignia on tires. Not all tires, including mud and snow and including even all-terrain tires have that. It's just one more thing above and beyond a regular M&S tire uh, to, to equip it for sand uh, and snow because of, and ice for that matter, largely because of the siping as well as that rubber composition. Additionally, we do strive to, to be prepared as possible from a tread depth standpoint. We do a lot of messaging internal to our company uh, so that the operators know, you know, hey, when you're at a certain tread depth, 6.30 seconds, 7.30 seconds, uh, let, let's start this process going because tires are uh, just like anything else in supply chain, they're impacted. So let's be sure we're not expecting to walk in and replace a, a worn out tire. Let's try to do some planning ahead of that. So. As we enter the September, October timeframe, 
lots of communication with our operators about that very thing. Let's start the process of, of renewing any tire that needs to be renewed. Then you asked a great uh, second part of that was tire chains. Absolutely. Uh, we're, we're a big believer in tire chains. Most everything that has an aerial or a crane on it has tire chains uh, on it or or with, with it and available. Uh, we use a great resource, tirechains.com. Sounds pretty easy, and it is. And our operators largely take that on their own. We, from a fleet perspective, provide some guidance as to what works well, what goes on easy, what comes off easy. And uh, because tire chains are, I don't know, they're they're kind of like golf clubs. They're that you get like personal favorites. You get you get these uh, folks that like a certain type. They don't like another type. And then again, because some of our crews are in very hilly areas, some of our crews are in very flat areas. Mud comes into play from time to time. So it, it really enables and empowers them to make some uh, personal choices on, on what they like. And then I will add, you didn't ask about it, but I'm, I'm going to add to it here. There's another technology that, that we have onboarded, and we've been using this technology for about 10 years. It's, it's a company that, and there's several out there that do this, but it's, it's, it's tire inflation central tire inflation so that during low speed high traction need scenarios you can actually adjust the tire inflation which then increases the footprint that contact patch of the tire and it makes an immense difference that has been probably well not probably it is hands down the most uh, beneficial thing that we have done for our crews when it comes to getting around. And the nice thing about it, it works in snow, it works in ice, it works for mud, it works for sand. Everything that they're faced with, uh, th this system really does a nice job with. So a lot of our crews are finding they don't even put the chains on. Because of this, this inflation system allows them to avoid that step and get everywhere and get out of everywhere that they they routinely see. Wow, those are all great tips. And I know you and I go to a lot of trade shows, and uh, I've also seen some vendors that have uh, kind of an automated system where the tire chain comes down and the chain kind of flails down under there, so you don't even have to get out of your vehicle. So. Yeah, real popular option in the busing industry, uh, um, sh uh, short haul delivery industry. You'll you'll see uh, exactly that. Well, they'll spin the chain under the tire. Uh, good technology. We don't at MPPD employ that uh, largely for for a variety of reasons. But you know, ultimately, the uh, a fleet has to decide what is best for them. Every every fleet is different. Every customer that that each fleet serves is different, and it really comes down to matching what is what is best for for their applications. Let's move on to the engines. Is there anything that you do regarding uh, engine fluid to prepare for winter? Maybe go to a different coolant. Maybe like a a synthetic oil or or any things like or strategies like that. Yeah, great, great. Um, I'm going to just 
spin that a little bit towards fuel. I'm going to start there um, because, well, because of what's happening right now outside my door, right? With the trucks gelling up and, and so forth. So we, we spend a great deal of energy surrounding fuel. We, we, that's so important to get right. So from our bulk fuel standpoint, our tanks that we use to fill our trucks, we transitioned to number one diesel as as uh, as the fall arrives. So when we get in that October time frame, our bulk tanks we buy straight one in that time frame. We just we just go ahead and start buying one. We buy number one. That way, the blend just keeps getting stronger and stronger as we consume that fuel. And then by the time December hits, we're all number one. The entire bulk tank is all number one. And we'll run that from December all the way to about March in our bulk tanks. Once we have the number one, we've been very fortunate, respective of, of treatment. We don't encourage a lot of treatments uh, if they're fueling out of our bulk tank. Uh, it's our operators are certainly welcome to. We recommend uh, one or two that are pretty well known in the in the industry, are pretty proven in the industry. House being one of them, Power Service being another, uh, both good brands. Uh, our operators are certainly welcome to treat, but what we do is we do a lot of coaching and training about over treatment. It, it, don't put too much in there. There is such a thing as too much. So we're very, very adamant that we follow the, the guidelines. And then from a fueling standpoint outside of our bulk system, because we we buy off of retail, as do a lot of fleets, right? You, you buy at the local gas stations, you buy at the local filling stations. And that's true at, out of all the counties, the 87 counties that we serve, we buy a lot of fuel from, from vendors. And that we have less control over, right? Because, yeah, they may say it's blended. You may find number one, you may not. You really don't know what the blends are that are out there. So there's where that treatment comes into play. Uh, again, the house, the power service, uh, because you're kind of dealing with some unknowns, an unknown quantity there, if you will, about what is exactly coming out of their tank. So the fuel part of it's important. The other parts, the other fluids in the engine bay, you know, the main thing is, are we servicing it on time and are we putting the right thing in it according to the manufacturer, right? Is it full, serviced at the right time, and does it have the right stuff in it? Um, engine oils right now are becoming so complex right? The various ratings of the engine oil, uh, let alone the viscosities, open the manual. We we are adamant that our vendors, as well as ourselves, we put in what the manufacturer recommends. You know, there's the 020s, 030s, the 1030s. Um, there's a lot of very new oils out there. So we are just sticklers for what the manufacturer says. And we have found that to be the best policy, we don't change to a, a, a certain type or a synthetic, and we don't go back and forth. We stick with what the manufacturer says, and we live with that throughout the life of the vehicle. From a branding standpoint, um, we're, we're not brand specific. And a lot of that is 
because we are so so spread out, it's difficult to have access to a specific brand you may or may not want. And it's very difficult then to be what I would call religious, sticking with it because vendors, they change, right? You know, based on pricing, based on availability. So that's the one part I, I, if I could fix something relative to what we do with our, our oils, Kurt, that'd be it is, is I'd like to get more religious about branding. Uh, but we just have some, some limitations there and, and we do our very best. We, we call out uh, a couple brands, we call out uh, special manufacturers for coolant, but a lot of that, unfortunately, is ultimately determined by some of the vendors we use across the state. Because such a big state, some of our maintenance just has to be outsourced. Mm, that's very interesting. So what about the coolant? Do you go to a different coolant in the uh, in the wintertime, or you just kind of go with what you got? We, we, we go with what the manufacturer says. We you know, again, coolants, you know, it used to be ethylene glycol, right? Green, very straightforward. Everybody had it really easy. Then you had the, you know, Dex cool and the, what is it, what's it called? Organic acid technology, AOT, right? When that came out from GM, uh, that was pretty monumental. And so what we really try to do is we say, look, you know, what's, what's the owner's manual say for that particular unit? That's what we're going to put in. Now, relative to the strength of the protection, absolutely. We require, whether we do it or our vendors do it, when we do a PM, we require that, that strength to be tested of, of, that, of that coolant. We also check the pH of that coolant. We also then will test for electrolysis of that coolant because all of those have an impact to the behavior of that antifreeze and the behavior and, and longevity of those systems, heater cores, thermostats, hoses, uh, electrolysis especially. There's so many different types of metals that are in that engine now and in that radiator now. And, and so the, the electrical currents that occur over time have an impact to, to the metallurgy. So we're we're always testing for that as well. We have found if we're if we're adamant about those four things, we're we're successful. We just don't have a lot of coolant problems. Um, you know, strength isn't the right manufacturer, pH, electrolysis, uh, and so forth. Those are kind of the the pillars we stand on. Matt, you are a wealth of knowledge. This is all great information. You know, I'm going to give a shout out to one of our uh, longtime advertisers. Uh, Bollinger, I was talking to my contact out there, Steve Speak, and he told me that you can even get now a different type of fluid in your hydraulics for the wintertime. Have you heard anything ab about this? Yes. Yeah, ab absolutely. I. It's something that we've we've really embraced for a number of years is a great many options available. Again, uh, fleet managers may have a certain brand or a certain type that they're they're married to or prefer, and that's that's very very good. But um, we have really done a lot of work benchmarking and engaging folks up north, Canadians, 
folks in North Dakota, folks in South Dakota, folks in upper Minnesota, you know, what are you using? What have you had success with? Um, we've had great, great luck, you know, whether we're working with, with, uh, uh, Bollinger that you mentioned, another is Petro Canada. It's a brand that we've had great success with as well. Um, but we have found that, that most manufacturers are agreeable to the oils that we're suggesting. We call those out in our specification. We want specific oils in that hydraulic system that we know that are going to contend with the extreme cold uh, that, that we have here in Nebraska. That's just uh, very important. The other thing is heaters, tank heaters, right? System or tank heaters, whether that is warming up the system by letting it go over relief or actually having a hydraulic uh, heater of some sort, you know, whether it's based on the engine coolant, whether it's an electrical system uh, that's standalone, whether it's diesel fired, we've used all of the above, but it is important to, to have that technology bolted on as well. Speaking of keeping, uh, you know, the engines and the truck warm um how do you keep your trucks warm in these sub-zero wind chills they're out in the elements you can't can't bring them in the garage i've again at trade shows i've seen like solar blankets uh i've seen you know uh heated dipsticks um what uh what is has worked for you or what it what have you uh researched so in that respect, uh, blankets, uh, things of that nature, we we have never really pulled the trigger on on those. Um, we have pulled the trigger on any um, systems that are offered by the by the manufacturer, like uh, radiator blankets, things things like that, uh, intake blankets. Those things we certainly pursue and and have had great success with. Uh, other than that, we we really haven't because we focus so much on the getting the oils right, getting the fluids right. Um, batteries very important. Um, I skipped over that. I'll you know I'd be remiss if I didn't spend some time there. But having a good manufactured, good quality battery. Um, I I remember when I was first in this industry, Kurt and and. Uh, my boss said, you know, the warranty never starts the car. And I, and I was like, man, that's, that's pretty insightful, you know, because you can get a great warranty on a crappy battery and, but that it, the warranty doesn't start it. And so it's really more important to focus on the quality of the component and does it do the job and less focus on what kind of replacement warranty you get. And so that's a lesson that has stuck with me in 30 years or so of fleet management and uh, um, kind of some rules I live by. But circling back to your question about the blankets and so forth, we don't do any solar blankets or or anything like that. We, we are fortunate where a lot of our trucks live indoors overnight. Those that don't, we can plug in. Um, those that don't, we have uh, even the ability to get into some lean twos. So that's that's very very fortunate. 
Sounds good. Well, people who follow the podcast know that I always like a good celebrity story. We talked about trade shows. Um, have you? Do you have a good celebrity uh, encounter to to share with us? Well, yeah, you got my mind spinning here, but yeah, I do. I think now, now that I think about it, here, Kurt, I I do. Uh, I was at attending the NTEA show, I believe. The year, I won't get the year right, but the location I'll probably get right. I, I believe it was in, in in one of the shows in Indianapolis, and I'm I'm from Nebraska, so I'm a diehard Husker fan, right? I mean, it's hard lately. It's it's tough. Um, we're hoping to get this thing turned around, but you know, when I when I was a kid growing up. It, it it's pumping through your heart, right? Is that the go big red, go big red. Go, that's the heartbeat. Go big red, go big red. And in any event, our arch nemesis was always the Oklahoma Sooners. Hated the Oklahoma Sooners. Well, I, anyway, I'm at, I'm in Indianapolis. I'm at NTEA trade show. And I'm on the upper level, what I would call like the mezzanine level of the conference center. And I, and I just kind of scan across and and I see somebody coming down the escalator, and I I'm like, my God, that's Barry Switzer, the old coach of the Sooners. And I'm like, that cannot be. Number one, what would he be doing here? Number two, wouldn't there be a crowd around him? And and number three, why would he even use an escalator? It's Barry Switzer, right? So anyway, I'm like, but I think it's him. So uh, I I hurry down the steps and I find my way through the crowd and. Lo and behold, it is Barry Switzer. I can't help myself at this point. I introduce myself. He, you know, and we he he stopped, talked to me for about 10 minutes. He was a guest of a uh, manufacturer, and I think he was headed to their booth and was, you know, going to sign autographs and that type of thing. And so we talked. Nebraska football, Oklahoma football. We talked about the rivalry. We talked about um, – I played some college football, actually, in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which, you know, different scenario, different school. But talked about that a little bit and just really had a – what I thought was a, was a fun, for me, certainly, conversation. And what amazed me, um, Kurt, is I think I was the only one in the building knew who he was. People walked by us as we talked. I don't think they had a clue. And, of course, why would they, you know, when Indianapolis, uh, that was kind of, you know, the Big 8 used to be the Big 8, and and that was before the Big 10. And and uh, But it, I, I sure was enamored with it, no doubt there. Yeah, he also went on to coach the uh, the Cowboys, who've uh, been in the news quite a bit for, for the playoffs. So, uh, so you felt uh, friendly enough to him that when he left, you didn't feel the need to trip him or anything like that. No heavens, no. You know, I think some he had he was in retirement as was Tom Osborne, and so I think they have a mutual respect and somewhat of an affinity for one another. So no, there were no punches thrown, and heck, I think all the words were. I don't even think there were four letter words. So it was very. A very good conversation, and but we did talk football, and he did say it. It's it's the players. It comes down to players. It it doesn't matter what the coaches do. It comes down to players, 
And that's one thing I'll give Barry Switzer credit for. He always had great players, even when he was with the Cowboys. Now he inherited them. And I know that there's a lot of drama about that whole experience. If you watch ESPN and the history about Dallas Cowboys and Barry Switzer, but um, he had some success. That's for sure. Well, let's, uh, let's get back into talking a little bit of business. Um, one of the things that again came out of the big chill, um, the middle of, uh, of January here, uh, is EV cars. So, yeah. um, you know, it started out as a news story that people were having problems, uh, in the Northern half of the United States charging their EVs or their EVs holding a charge. And I know that you've done some articles for us actually early on about your experiences with some EVs. I want to say all the way back to the Chevy Volt. And yes, sir. So I want to tap into your experience uh, again, keep keeping in theme with the winter, um, what your experiences have been or, or any tips for working with EVs in the winter. Yeah, uh, that has been a hot button in the news. You're you're right on target there, Kurt. Uh, we were an early adopter. We we were one of the first adopters from a utility perspective relative to the Chevy Volt. We were also an early adopter for hybrid electric bucket trucks. And we, we had some lessons learned in, what was that now, 10, 15 years ago already. Time sure does fly. And we... We've also learned some lessons with our Ford Lightning recently, with our Chevy Bolt with a B recently, our Ford Mach-E recently. Um, and then we're about to deliver or take delivery of some Silverado EVs. And so, you know, we we definitely have a little bit of experience here. And what, what we've learned is, first of all, electricity is impacted by the cold. We know that because we're a utility. So the, the how electricity behaves, how it flows, how 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 it just uh, uh, moves from one location to the other, the colder it is, the more difficult that whole process occurs. And so that's what's happening inside that battery and it's being impacted by the cold. Second is that battery, that system that's in, in that vehicle, it has to maintain that battery. So it's it's kind of a self-consuming process. So it's using its own uh, charge, its own capacity to maintain its availability. And so that has a big impact on that readiness of that onboard battery. So the colder it is, the more conditioning that that system, the more care that that system is applying to that battery. So that has a huge impact on the the distance that vehicle is going to travel, as well as the time that that district is going to uh, vehicle is going to tra travel. So, what could have originally been like, hey, two hours, three hours, actually could be significantly reduced. We we found that to be sometimes as much as as forty percent less, right? And so, just from that conditioning standpoint, and then I I do know that that there was some difficulty with charging. And I, it, to my understanding, it largely has to do with when the battery is depleted past a certain point and it's no longer able to do that self-conditioning, that's when that charging 
becomes very, very difficult because now the battery is, is basically at zero, not only from a charge standpoint, but, but also from a internal condition. And so, you know, the 20, 30 minute fast charging, they ain't going to do it. The one hour charging isn't going to do it. I've, you know, heard people be plugged in for quite some time before that is all resurrected. So, and then of course you wait in line, you wait in line for that charger and you're consuming battery and the guy in front of you is not charging very fast. And then all of a sudden you got this issue, right? Where you have a line of cars waiting to charge, consuming their own capacity, didn't probably plan for any of this. And so each one's taking more time to charge and it's a domino. The dominoes just fall one after the other. The, the, the car up front takes way longer. The next one's more depleted. It takes way longer. So it's, it's certainly something that that's been in the news. Um, the technology from an EV perspective still is limited to that battery. That's the, I don't want to call it Achilles heel, but that that's not the right term, but that's the challenge right now, Kurt, is getting that battery more advanced so it requires less conditioning, less care, less self-consumption. And um, if 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 technologies and materials could come into play, that that's probably going to be ultimately what positively impacts the future state. But right now, um, there's certainly some challenges with, with the cold. What I tell and what our fleet folks coach our, our operators is, is look, you got, you got a plan, right? It's just not as instantaneous as a, as a gas nozzle. You got a plan. Don't a, a don't count on that distance that's listed on your dash is gospel. It's not gospel. It's so variable. Cold weather, how the wind, the the uh, the terrain you're driving in, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Number number two, don't assume the charger will be available once you get there. Right? Hey, there's there's chargers. Well, I'll just go plug in. Well, what if somebody's already plugged in there? Right? So don't assume that. So that's part B of. Of, of our, our advice. And then C is, is it going to work? Is it, um, uh, how long is yours going to take? So you do have to do some planning. And uh, unfortunately, we're a pretty convenience driven society, right? I mean, you drive up and you get your food in a matter of minutes, you get your gas in a matter of minutes. And uh, we even get well, podcasts like this one, right? You just turn the station and you find Kurt and 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 you listen. But but uh, right now, EVs just just aren't quite there. Yeah, we're all kind of learning together, and uh, I guess that this is what will, uh, as you pointed out, maybe advance us to the next technology. So, um, well, man, I was so excited to have this discussion. I learned a ton. Hopefully, our listeners did too. Uh, you're a wealth of information. Again, I want to thank our uh, guest, Matt uh, Gilliland, and uh, also want to thank you very much for being part of our Utility Fleet Professional Editorial Advisory Board for all these years. Oh, I'm happy to do that, Kurt. You and your team 
have uh, done such a great job of keeping the industry uh, aware of best practices, new new equipment, new uh, new technologies, and above all, how to do it safe. How you know? How do you work safely? And I really admire what what you and your group has put together, and and you're very consistent with it. Uh, great messaging. So pass on my appreciation to to your team, and it's always good to catch up with you. I know we bump into each other at trade shows, and and uh, also at uh, a few other organizational events. But um, always good to talk with you, and and boy. Stay warm. It's brutal up there in Chicago. Yeah, it is all over. Well, well, thanks again, Matt. And uh, just kind of my closing remarks uh, always are, everybody roll safe out there. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of utility business media and its employees. It is strongly recommended that you discuss any actions or policy changes your company Thank you.